Welcome back to episode 6 of WNBA Retrospect, a historical WNBA scouting series. Today we'll discuss Tamika Catchings, one of the greatest players in WNBA history, and Georgia's Kelly Miller, who went ahead of Catchings in the 2001 draft. Lothman's basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win! You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Welcome. You are Locked Women's Basketball. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. My name is Hunter Cruz. I'm your Saturday host covering prospect scouting and women's basketball at large. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA or enter promo code LockedOnNBA for free. Uh, for a free white tech hat with any purchase, you won't want to take your Bird Dogs off, we promise you. I'm joined by my co-host, M. Adler and Lincoln Schaefer. M. covers the WBA in the New York market with a focus on player development and analysis. Lincoln is an indispensable part of our scouting team. You can find him on Twitter at Dovienia underscore. As I said, the center of our conversation today is Tennessee's Tamika Catchings. So let's take you back to 2001. Prior to Catchings' WNBA career, she started she started Tennessee under Pat Summit, becoming the na- national champion and player of the year. Catchings tore ACL in, her, in, in, her, in January of her senior season, causing her to slide to number three in the 2001 draft. Starting off with you, M, obviously we know, looking back at it now, you obviously take Tamika Catchings at number two. Or you take her, you maybe take her at number one. But what 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 are your thoughts on the process behind Charlotte taking Kelly Miller over a generational talent? Yeah. So, you know, this is it's not just this decision in a vacuum. Re- recall, listeners, that or viewers, last week we talked about Lauren Jackson being the number one pick in this class and how ridiculous of a player she is. This the 2001 draft featured two players who are both in serious consideration for the greatest player in WNBA history. This would happen again in 2008, and there's a remote chance it happens again this coming April, and a much smaller chance it happens again in April 2025. And I I truly cannot emphasize enough that this was extremely apparent at the time. You can watch the player who I personally, a couple weeks ago, comp to Michael Jordan, and she is not the most intriguing prospect on her own team. Is it, it was right there. For as unbelievable as Shamiqua was, I was more intrigued by the player whose number I couldn't recognize until I later saw on a replay that was 24. And I truly cannot emphasize enough that an ACL tear midway through a senior season should not be remotely enough to not have drafted catch, knowing what we knew at the time. And here's the thing, I like Kelly Miller as a prospect. I really do. But she's not six foot two, guarding two through four with three and a half stocks per game, shooting 50% from the field and 35% from three in an offense that was terrible at maximizing these versatile wing skill sets. The key to these two players, who both have good WNBA careers to say the least, is that ACL tear was not enough to justify it, but the management with the sting at the time knew that their days might be numbered and they knew that they could not take a player. They were, they they were told really that they could not take a player by ownership who wouldn't play their, their 2001 rookie season 
because they there might not be a 2002 team for them to come back to. So with you, Lincoln, uh, watching catch, what was the first thing that jumped off the screen for you with her game? How does she contrast to Holdsclaw, which we talked about a few weeks ago? With catchings, um, the first thing that popped off the screen for me is how aware of everything happening on the court she is. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very clear to me that she sees everything. And the thing is that she sees everything and she has the athleticism to be mm-hmm. everywhere. I think that's a pretty good way to sum her up. You know, I think what stood out to me, like I was saying in terms of the intrigue, was I mean, you can look at her stats at Tennessee and they are great. They don't jump off the page as all timer. It's not the same thing as when you look at Sue, her senior year, shooting 50, 48, 90 overall, averaging 14 points with a two and a half assist uh, to turnover ratio. We'll talk about her next week. Um, it's not Diana shooting. Uh, I think in her sophomore year, it was the only year she played with high-level players as a non-freshman, shooting 55-45 on a 50% three-point assist rate. But it's really good. And then you actually look at the tape at Tennessee, and you're like, oh, this is the player that they turn to when they don't just need a shot. They just need they need to get something going. Everything ran through Shamiqua and, uh, and Catch. Even when Catch was a freshman, them working together was it was unbelievable how they complemented each other. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But just the number of things she was doing as a spot-up shooter, as a pull-up shooter, creating off the dribble, as an actual pick-and-roll player, it happened a couple of times, but you see this actually ridiculous ability to set up these passes and these playmaking things. You know, it's not fully leading the offense like a guard, but it is this wild passing ability for someone of her position, and it just sort of scales over time. Yeah, and for, like, her size and her position, she's playing a lot of, honestly, she's playing a lot of the four at Tennessee mm-hmm. and um, grabbing and going and being trusted in the year 2000, the year 1999, <laughs> to be a, an initiator and a uh, a creator and a decision maker offensively, which really says a lot about uh, how much not only Coach Summit trusted her, but how much she created on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I said this with Shamiqua, you know, the Tennessee scheme, especially in contrast to the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking about Super Diana Tarasi. By this point in time, Catch's senior year, there's a real shift in the landscape of women's college basketball. And, and you know, it's especially apparent the wins and losses. We go from a pretty dead even split between the Tennessee-UConn series, basically in the years since we started doing our scouting for the series. Once Basically, Shamiko graduates once um, Sue Bird, Swin Cash, that group get a year under their belts. UConn reels off six straight wins, and it doesn't. And Tennessee doesn't win until Candace comes in. There's a shift in the landscape, but it's not just in terms of those sort of results, the like power imbalance of UConn winning three straight titles. It's the scheme that Pat is running in comparison to Gino. It's it's very effective. They played some great games, and she only lost a handful of games at most every year. <laughs> But you can see when it comes to players like Michelle Snow and Kara Lawson, and especially to make a catchings, it's not really showing all that they can do. And it's it's built more around having them play to a system that is going to win games than building a system around players who can possibly, you know, do so much more than their 
doing at the moment. And that's not really a knock on Pat. The success is the success. But with a player like Pat, you have to look sort of for the little things, especially with how good she was to start off. And you see, as she goes on, she's getting even better at switching and guarding at the point of attack, going over ball screens. It's ridiculous. Her activity on the weak side, it goes from not just being kind of good at weak side of protection, but being really active. One of the th biggest things that stood out to me was her handle. She had good dribble control to start off, but there wasn't much of a handle there. By the time she is a senior, she is hitting these between the legs, step back, uh, mid-range and three-point jumpers. And it, it goes from, you know, intriguing as a shot creator to someone with, it could be a plus-plus handle for a, for a forward. Yeah. Yeah, sort of my impression. So everything. <laughs> yeah, so, sort of my impression of watching Holdsclaw versus Catchings was I think Holdsclaw had more raw athletic ability compared to mm -hmm. Catchings, who had just more of the skill. Like you said, the movement shooting, I saw some some off-the-dribble stuff that you kind of just saw more. Um, it was more apparent, like the skill, the efficiency. You kind of just knew that stuff would translate more than Holdsclaw, who probably had the higher upside, but mm -hmm. obviously we, we know that didn't really translate. But after the... One of the one of the differences to me is um, Catching's like innate understanding of angles and the game of basketball mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the floor. She's just it's it's preternatural awareness of what's happening around her. Yep. Yeah. So after the break, we'll get into our scouting grades on both Miller and Catching's, and later we'll discuss how their pro careers <clears throat> unfolded. Bird dogs makes you look good. Bird dogs stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and legs, giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better. They fit way better than regular shorts that are made of stiff, restricting cotton. Bird dogs fix this issue by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki, but stretches so you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. Bird dogs uses anti-stink sweat wicketing fabric that keeps you cool and dry all all day long go to birddogs.com slash locked on nba or enter promo code locked on for a free white tech hat that's birddogs.com slash locked on nba or promo code locked on nba for a free white tech hat you don't want to you won't want to take your bird dogs off we promise you Welcome back. I'm your host, Mr. Cruz, and thanks for joining us. Let's get into our scouting grades on both Miller and Catchings based solely on the film we watched pre-WNBA, taking into account the state of the league at the time rather than an emphasis on future WNBA schemes and schematic philosophies. But first, for those unfamiliar, we use a baseball-like 2080 scouting scale. A 40 is like your average WNBA contributor. 45 is a top-end backup. 50 is your average starter. 55 is a above-average starter. 60 is an all-star caliber player, 70 is an all-WNBA caliber player, and 80 is like reserved for your MVP candidates and like perennial all-WNBA caliber players. So now that we got that out of the way, let's start with Kelly Miller first, and I'll give it to you, Lincoln. Yeah, uh, Kelly Miller um, is a perfectly fine guard prospect. She uh, has a nice blend <laughs> of playmaking and scoring she makes quick decisions but i'm not sure she's the best guard prospect on her college team uh but given all that i i think that my grade for her would land somewhere in the, the 45 to 50 range which is like high end mm -hmm. off the bench or like a, a low end starter on a good team 
she's like a perfectly capable point guard and uh that um on ball utility is what i think separates her from her twin sister in their their um setup as prospects at least totally yeah i think we didn't touch on kelly miller apart from just the draft process before but yeah i mean i think it's worth noting she put up really good stats at yeah uh at georgia on a team that also featured coca miller and also had another wing there who would be notable later on um but the, the the thing with that is she kind of led the team in scoring her senior year, I believe. And you know, there is a lot to like in terms of just the process, the floor game. She's really smart knowing where the ball is going to go. She's very adept at getting the ball there. I totally agree with you in terms of you know, she is the kind of point guard you see who you think this, if this is like a fourth or probably fifth best player on in your starting lineup, you're probably going to win a, a championship that year just because, you know, she can fill gaps, she can do that well. There are concerns. You know, she has that thing that we see in um, college players who are good pull-up uh, shooters in college. Sometimes we saw this with Haley Jones, or at least I, I saw this, I pointed this out last year, where the numbers may look like one thing, but when you're trying to project, hey, can you improve upon this? There's an issue where every time she's hitting like a pull-up shot, every time she's missing one too her body's super unstable she does not have a good core stability she's kind of flailing about midair just a little bit and it's really hard it's really hard to improve upon your pull-up accuracy from the mid-range without that and so she profiles more as like a good play initiator and then sort of a spot-up shooter defensively it's kind of a disaster i had a (laughs) so again i like her as like a late first round uh pick you know i think just because the upside I talked about, what you want, but also obviously there's just big bust potential here. I I, I had her sort of as, a, as like a soft role four, so sort of the, the median outcome being more of just like a bench player in general. Yeah, similar to Lincoln, I lean 45-50. I was impressed with the <laughs> shot making. I thought that there was stuff there. Like I said to you guys, I was just not impressed with the burst at all. Like I, I didn't, I didn't see anything with her athleticism that gave me like promise. I was just, I more thought about her as like a combo guard, can play a little bit lead guard. She had she's a decent mm-hmm. passer. She's kind of filled spots, like you said. Um, the defense, she's just a low impact off ball defender. You don't want her doing anything more than that. Yeah. Um, but I think in general, at the time, I think you could get away with it more than what she did. So I would probably lean fifty, but I think also forty five is like a decent spot for her. Um, and I actually did I, have a, a comparison for her, um, someone that we all watched a lot of last week for our Lauren Jackson episode. Uh, watching her reminded me quite a bit of watching Sandy Brandello. Oh, okay, thank God. I thought you were going to say Stu Bird, and I was about to get so <laughs> offended. <laughs> no, no. Watching her reminded me of watching Sandy Brandello. The uh, mid-range pull-ups, the uh, little bit of uh, off-the-dribble juice, and the just kind of steady offense from the point guard position. It was it was reminiscent of uh, Sandy Brandella with the Australian national team in the late 90s. That may be, I think, the first time anyone has comped a WNBA prospect to Sandy Brandello, the Australian national team player, ever. <laughs> as, as a little bit more of a comp that our listeners might be, a player our listeners might be a little familiar with. Um, it, Kelly, both in terms of the process and in terms of sort of the value positional fit, basically reminded me of if you took Destiny Henderson as a prospect and you took you took away from her mid-range game and added to her passing ability. And she's also taller. Oh, yeah. 
But let's let's get to catchings now. Uh, you first, Tim. Oh, yes. So I will say we've had this talk before when it comes to players who are really good but not necessarily great at a whole lot of stuff. Because catching is, like I said, in terms of the system at Tennessee, it's not meant to showcase this kind of player as much as a Shamiqua, as much as uh, the Jackson sisters uh, who were a class or two behind. Or no, sorry, sorry, not sisters. The Jackson players who were a, a year or two behind um, catch. So for me, I was, I mean, I was actually lower on her grade than what she turned out to be, which is uh, undoubtedly a top three player in WNBA history at the very least. I had her as sort of a soft eight, which is so, you know, kind of a perennial MVP. I didn't, you know, I'm hesitant just because there are a lot of skills, but it's hard to really project the kind of grade that is in the same tier as Lauren Jackson when it's still kind of raw and it's still kind of improving even as we go. So so I fall I fall a soft a soft eight. Yeah, yeah, I think that's kind of fair. Um if you but if you categorize like the different skills that you can see in her time at Tennessee, like a high impact defender across multiple positions who is also a walking mismatch at the four offensively because of her speed and her burst and her uh, intelligence. It's it's hard for me to say that this uh, player as a prospect is anything lower than like a 70 plus plus mm-hmm. and is like watching her college tape. It felt more likely to me that she'd make multiple off all defensive teams than not. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I think a soft eight is, is fair. Yeah, I said 70 plus. I think I would probably put a little bit of stock into the ACL injury uh, just because you just don't know. Um, that's, that, that's probably what I would go 70 plus. Um, the three-point shooting, it did grow. I think there was flashes, but three-point shooting wasn't what it became. You yeah. saw some of it. So I think 70 plus is fair. But um, yeah, just an elite prospect. I think she's better than Holds Call. There's, like I said, more defined skill. Um, For sure. And someone that you kind of just believe in more they're going to hit their outcome rather than holds call who has a bus potential uh, more bus potential than we saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the, the thing that came to mind in watching her just in terms of the skill set and in terms of the way it interacts, the positional versatility with this being able to play the three and, or the four Lincoln, you just mentioned, you know, her plus athleticism for the four. The thing I really didn't like about Tennessee and especially, and we'll get to this, especially about her pro career, she was constantly, she constantly had to play a three uh, with these really prototypical, super limited, should not be starter fours, which was typical for the time. It's just really unfortunate to see her sort of um, siphoned off like that. In the same way we talked about Lauren Jackson playing in these two center lineups that really take away from how good uh, LJ's versatility was. One team that I felt that had a player like this but started her next to a four they shouldn't have, but a six has since fixed that issue, is the Minnesota Lynx with Nafisa Collier. To me, Tamika Catchings is basically if Nafisa Collier had the best game of her career every single game, <laughs> that was that's basically what she was at Tennessee. And again, you sort of have to get there. You sort of have to look at the skills and say, you know, these are the things she has to do within this system. Like she's taking so many pull-up threes when so many of those will be catch-and-shoot opportunities in the W even for that time because Tennessee just they don't create open shots. 
like and I'll throw it to you because I know you have a lot more than I do. Yeah, I had some some weird comps. Like um, the thing that I was uh, thinking of when just watching her burst off the dribble was like a young Grant Hill um, before his knees totally gave out. Someone who uh, was a walking pain touch, had length, and um, just created havoc on both ends. And another person who created havoc on both ends that uh, almost identical career averages is Scottie Pippen. Uh, You get some of the idea of best wing defender of all time, you get the combination of length, playmaking, and driving. Uh, and if Tamika Catchings had played next to a Michael Jordan, then we would see the Fever having won multiple championships, I think. Are you telling me Katie Douglas, Katie Douglas, after like <laughs> six years in the W, wasn't quite at Michael Jordan's level? I don't like Katie Douglas to be Maybe We'll talk about her next summer. But it I, is fun, I, 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 re- I really like the Grant Hill comp, you know, pe- people forget, and I, I'm doing this a bit unironically, people forget, <laughs> like, before the injuries, he was one of the best NBA players in history through all Absolutely. of his seasons. Yeah, it's fun that we comped one to MJ and one to Scotty. College <laughs> that, is, that is fun. But after the break, we'll get into how their college career, their, after their college careers unfolded um, with Charlotte and then also with Indiana. All right, so kicking it off with let's get into Tamika Catchings first, who all-time leading playoff score. Um, from watching her in college, you probably don't think she hits that level um, as a scorer, but M, you've seen probably more film from her in Indiana than almost anyone um, that I know. So let's 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 get into that first. So I mentioned in the last segment, you know, she should be playing the four and, and the W. She, well, she has to play the three by the end of her career. Indiana figures out, oh hey, this this player who allows us to play a bunch of like wings and guards who can like shoot in space and do stuff. Oh, we should probably take advantage of that. And that's when you see, you know, you know, Brienne January comes in and is like the closest thing that WNBA has to like Chris Paul for like two or three seasons. Um, which for those of you who know the end of her career, kind of weird, but it happens. Katie Douglas, they bring in from Connecticut. She's just a perfect partner for for those two, and the synergy is amazing, of course. They win the title in 2011 or 2012, which again, an Indiana team won the WNBA finals. That's that's pretty significant for for the first couple years of her career. Um, you know, she obviously misses uh, Tamika Catchings. Obviously, misses what would have been her rookie year in 2001. She comes back from the ACL. She wins rookie of the year in 2002. She is all WNBA every year. Just her first year in the league, and then the next five, six, seven, she's, she, she has all of that. She only wins MVP once in her career. She she should have won more. It's But that's sort of what you get with a league when it's condensed, is you have great players taking on smaller roles, and you have a few opportunities for the real cream of the crop to separate themselves, and that's sort of what it is in Tamika Catching's career, especially with the team success, especially playing out of position, and especially just with the fact that you mentioned the W's all-time career, career playoff leading scorer. Here's the thing. Like, most of those teams did not go to the finals, even when you have, you know, again, at minimum, the third best player of all time, really, on your on your teams. He dragged so many lifeless corpses into the playoffs and into the second rounds. It's, it, it is utterly insane how much every year 
she was affecting on a play-by-play basis. She didn't have the highest usage rate in WNBA, in WNBA history, not close to it, even through the, the lean early years. But you can still see offensively, she's getting the ball on every single touch. Every time she doesn't get an assist, she probably has a hockey assist just from how she's opening up the court for everyone else. It's kind of crazy the extent to which the team is utterly lifeless without her. Even when she's on the court, there is so little that they can manage to do without her. It's kind of sad, to be quite honest, because it's just, it's, it's kind of the same experience, to be honest, you get with Minnesota when you watch Simone Augustus. Again, we'll get to her in a few weeks. When you watch Simone Augustus in those first years, or sophomore season, she had one of the most efficient, like, mid-range shot-creating seasons in history and the team's lifeless really until you get Whalen and Brunson in, in 10 and then you draft Maya Moore in 2011 and suddenly you're the greatest dynasty and you're the second greatest dynasty in WNBA history it's sort of like that with catch but instead of actually getting those those hall of fame reinforcements you just get like some borderline hall of fame reinforcements where suddenly catch has a little bit more help and now you're in two finals in, in the final five years of her career and then uh with Kelly Miller um what did you see from her from her early years and also because she ended up playing with catching catchings for a Mm -hmm. couple years and then she also went to phoenix as well back in those days free agency wasn't as big as it is today you know there's just a lot less movement there there really were no marquee free agent moves until like 2017 2019 around that time so what's weird about kelly miller is she changes teams four times in her first eight in her in her first eight years or like the middle eight years of her career in the w which is insane for that time what's even more insane she's a pretty effective player to be quite honest she basically hits the the median outcome you guys had she hits sort of the higher end of what i had her peak is extremely short she's sort of like a, she's sort of like a somewhat useful reserve player for the first like year or so and on the back end of her career and in the middle including winning a ring in 2009 with the Mercury. Um, you know, she, I believe, I really hope I didn't get that wrong. <laughs> she is she is just a really effective point guard setting up other teammates. Again, when she's on the Mercury, you can see how, you know, she gets the ball where he needs to go. She makes strong passes. She she hits these outlets and these, and these kick-aheads in transition that really enable other players around her to thrive. And she fills the gaps well enough uh, in terms of being a spot-up shooter that relieves some tension and allows for that sort of improvement um, to the rest of the team's offense. So she's a really effective gap filler. And again, you have a solid WNBA career. Probably uh, the second best WNBA career of anyone who played at Georgia and graduated in 2001. <laughs> but Miller did win a title with Phoenix, but it was 2007, not 2009. Ah, so close. Yeah, so... Um... Kelly Miller sort of that case where you see a star go behind her. Like she's not a bust. Like she's not oh, a bust. Yeah. But she kind of fell into the situation, which probably wasn't her fault either way. Like mm-hmm. you said, Charlotte just kind of had to take her, um, given where their franchise is, their franchise was at. Um, ended up folding. Doesn't so. excuse them yeah. from you know we've alluded to this player multiple times, but it, it doesn't excuse them from taking Kelly. Uh, sorry, it doesn't excuse them from taking Kelly Miller over Deanna Nolan, Tweedy, who was the other player at Georgia that we've been alluding to, who, you know, the scoring average, the assists weren't as high as Kelly Miller, but the athleticism, the projection, the 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 insane just preternatural defensive ability. We'll talk about this later at a future date, but it's clear in watching them that if you do your homework, there's a more intriguing prospect there in the wing. 
I've compared the process this draft, just not as big as you think. I've compared this 2001 WNBA draft to the 1984 men's NBA draft multiple times <laughs> with Lauren Jackson and Hakeem Olajuwon going number one, and then Sam Bowie and uh, Kelly Miller going number two, and then Michael Jordan and Tamika Ketchings going number three. And while neither Miller nor Bowie were busts, they weren't superstars like mm-hmm. the other ones were. Like, Sam Bowie and Kelly Miller both put up, like, respectable numbers at their position. But when you're surrounded by superstars, it's going to make you look like a bum in comparison, mm-hmm. which is not their fault. And it's not an indictment of their career, but it's just the reality of that situation. Yeah, so thanks for making Let's Men's Basketball your first listen every day. Join the team at the next back next week for continued coverage inside the WNBA and women's basketball as a whole. Like M said, we'll be talking about UConn great Sue Bird um, next week. So have a great weekend, everyone.